This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, March 8th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Blues and Brews announces festival lineup, fats and oils and grease, oh my, a history of 2022 at Telluride's Museum, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, KOTO's free-form music format is delivered by local DJs. These enthusiastic volunteers fuel the spirit of the station and keep it fun and funky. Show your support for your local community radio station by donating at koto.org. And thank you. Music and beer will be flowing this summer at the 29th Blues and Brews Festival. And this week, the festival announced its 2023 lineup. It feels amazing to get this out to the world. Um, We've been working really hard. Um, It's been a collaborative effort with our team. I think this year was something that was really great is we really fronted ideas, each one of us, and... Then I went out and tried to hunt them down. So we all really worked together to kind of curate this um, and make something really special for everybody. That's Courtney McClary, Director of Operations for SBG Productions, which produces Blues and Brews. The festival will return to Town Park this year with a dynamic, well-rounded mix of blues, funk, indie, rock, gospel, and soul performances. At the top of the roster is legendary Grammy Award-winning artist Bonnie Raitt. Here's SBG Director of Marketing, Jacob Bomersbeck. We obviously, you know, being a blues festival, need to fill that traditional um, place. And, you know, this year we're excited to have um, recent Grammy Award winner Bonnie Raitt join us again. We also like to keep it fresh and modern and cutting edge, and this year that spot would uh, be filled by The Roots, who arguably are the most influential and um, progressive hip-hop band to date. There's also The Revivalists, a band that, according to Bomersbeck, brings the party. For Patrick Sheehan, Partnership Director for SBG, he loves the undercards. The Heavy Heavy um, is so good. I've been playing them on my radio show a lot, and you know, Ticketmaster named them Breakout Artists of the Year. Um, they're going to be a fun one to watch. GA20 is a really, like, raw... Um, in your face, Blues Trio. They're on Coal Mine Records. I'm really excited to see them. They'll have energy. And then um, The Word is going to be amazing. That's an incredible super band with some of our favorite artists, you know, the Dickinson Brothers, and then Robert Randolph and John Medeski. It's going to be so cool to have that here. Won't you go down 
Other acts will include Christone Kingfish Ingram, the Robert Clay Band, the Rumble, Dedicated Men of Zion, Matthias Latin, Buffalo Nichols, and Blues and Brew Staple, Anders Osborne. And McClary makes sure to remind festival goers to not sleep on the blues stage. We have Lady A over there, and she brings some pipes, and she is a phenomenal blues singer. Um, out of the Pacific Northwest and Ben Rice, which they're two like up and coming, very traditional blues. He plays the cigar box guitar. So um, those things are, I think, things to look out for. Um, we have a lot of ladies on the lineup, which is really exciting to me. Um, Allie Venable Band, Jackie Venson, um, don't miss her. The woman rips on the guitar. The ever favorite Music Maker Foundation review will be at the festival. Laughs will also be back this year with a comedian lineup coming soon. The festival will have its traditional three stages, the main stage in Town Park, the Blues Stage, and Campground Sessions. The 29th Annual Blues and Brews Festival will take place in Town Park September 15th to 17th, 2023. There will be local ticket sales at the Sheridan Show Bar starting at noon on Tuesday, March 14th, with GA and VIP tickets available. Tickets will go on sale to the general public on March 15th at 10 a.m. Sometimes the most important work of local government isn't the most glamorous. In wastewater treatment systems across the country, excess fats, oils, and grease, also known as fog, um, cause problems in wastewater pipes, not only your household pipes, but all the pipes that go from your house all the way to the wastewater treatment plant. That's Karen Guglielmone, Environmental and Engineering Division Manager for the town of Telluride presenting at town council this week. When grease gets into, um, particularly at the wastewater plant, it causes some safety hazards for our operators. You know, as you can imagine, it's greasy, um, slick. It also makes it very difficult to clean equipment and make sure anything that's fouled by the grease and other waste products, to get that equipment out to clean it becomes very problematic. Um, and so it's a worker safety issue. She says it's also a public health issue. When you have sewer backups, if it's um, from a fatberg, have you ever heard of the term fatberg? When you're read, I think the great London fatberg was made all the news for a little bit. Um, and that's when fat congeals around all the food stuff and other stuff that's in our wastewater and just creates this big blockage. Um, and how do you get it out? When the worst case scenario is you have to dig down, cut it out, and then actually physically remove that blockage, which is quite expensive. Finally, she adds it impacts the town's greenhouse gas emissions. When um, you have to treat and handle stuff that shouldn't be there to begin with, you're using excess energy to run the pumps, to, you know, to clean up the messes, et cetera, et cetera. So it's always a problem with um, 
creating uh, a challenge to meet our greenhouse gas emissions goals, especially for the wastewater plant. To help address the issues caused by fog, in 2012, Town Council added a section to the town's municipal code to help educate the community, food establishments, festivals, and the like about fog and what goes down the drain and implement enforcement if needed. Roughly a decade later, Guglielmone says they're reinvigorating the campaign. The code requires that food service establishments install a grease control device. It's usually the grease trap that's under a um, a sink. Um, And you have to maintain that. You have to skim the grease off it and put the grease somewhere. And that requires training of personnel that turn over an awful lot. So you can imagine the challenge of of some of the education and outreach and, you know, on this particular subject. She notes it's not only restaurants that are the issue. She says everybody should dry wipe their dishes before they wash them. Never pour used cooking oil down the drain. Everyone always asks me, what do I do with it? I have like a half a gallon because I did some special thing. Well, get some kitty litter, pour it on the kitty litter to absorb it. Then you can put it in a bag and throw it out as a solid. Never put liquid, again, not down the drain and don't put liquid grease into your trash container either. Because then our wastewater, our waste haulers have it dripping all the way down to Natarita. But when it comes to food establishments, Guglielmone says it's vital. They have the correct grease control devices, routinely maintain them, and keep a log of the cleaning. Town Council directed staff to look into adding the proper filing and paperwork into business license renewals for food establishments. But the key takeaway from Guglielmone? Nothing but human waste and toilet paper should be going down the drain. This week's town council meeting featured a trip into the very recent past, as the Telluride Historical Museum presented a year in review for 2022. Discussion touched on visitation numbers, museum finances, and a big move planned for 2023. KOTO's Gavin McGough has the details. The idiom goes that history repeats itself. This rang true at the Telluride Historical Museum last year, according to museum director Kiernan Lannan. Wouldn't really be a year or any report if I didn't have to detail uh, probably our finest tradition here at the museum, which is wholesale statues. <laughs> well, somewhat. Uh, we lost um, Mary Higgins, our director of public engagement, and Katie Spick, our museum assistant. And one other note that Kathy Rohr, our longtime, long-time collections manager, is re- retiring this year. Landon spoke before the Telluride Town Council this week with his annual report on the museum's happenings. Landon names a number of challenges faced by the museum, in addition to the ongoing issue of staff turnover. The building has had a number of maintenance issues, with heating and airflow problems. Additionally, Landon says visitation is still down from pre-pandemic levels. Um, our visitation trends, now, these aren't terrible in a vacuum. We had 6,520 people come through the museum. Uh, it does fall from our 2018, 2019, 2017 sort of highs of 9,248. We had hoped we would recover a little bit more over 2021. We still have pandemic impacts. We were closed for a, a couple stretches there in 2021. So only having 400 more people come through the museum was a little bit of a disappointment, though I understand that there are some stresses on the, the 
tourism economy here, generally speaking. The reduced number of visitors has not impacted museum finances. Between grants, memberships, donations, and other sources, 2022 was very nearly a record year for museum revenue, says Lannan. We have that top graph with our total contributions trend. This is both memberships and donations. This is our second most we've ever had in a year with 101,034 is the total for 2022. It's the best in the past five years, and it's only eclipsed by 2017, which had a little bit just as much higher than that. Projects for the coming year include mounting an exhibit on Telluride's festival culture, boosting visitation, and, Lannon says, mounting a big push to relocate the museum's collection storage closer to home. Um, we are moving our offsite storage from Montrose to um, the storage facility, new storage facility in Alien. That is going to be incredibly costly, time consuming. We're going to get that done this year and it's going to be much better con uh, conditions for our collection. It's not the buzziest thing for people to be aware of, but it's one of the more important things for us is to take care of our historical artifacts in a way that will allow them to be around for years and years and years to come. Upgrading the storage facility will do wonders for preserving materials over the long term, even if the logistics of the move pose a headache. In terms of preserving the museum building itself, Town manager Scott Robson says town in the museum should look at the space, its needs, and then... Make sure that this spring and summer, we've got a really tight list of, of capital improvement needs at the museum. So we are just properly budgeting in, in 2024 for what's out there. I know there's some, some significant dollar items that the museum is in need of that are likely the town's responsibility. So let's uh, just look forward to putting together that list with you and, and make sure we've got a, a really robust budget built for next year. The museum is open for the winter season through April 1st, which will be the last opportunity to see the current exhibit. Titled The Long Run, it celebrates 50 years of skiing in Telluride. Recreating in the backcountry can bring stoke and adventure, it can also bring accident and heartbreak. And Telluride's Backcountry Chats are here to help individuals stay safe this winter. Whether you're a seasoned backcountry skier or totally new, the talks are designed to help recreators and interested community members learn more about snowpack, snow science, safety, and more. This month's chat will focus on danger trends, analyzing accidents, avalanche danger ratings, and the process of avalanche forecasting. The session will pull back the curtain on the forecasting process to help recreators better understand how and why avalanche ratings are chosen. Backcountry chats are a collaboration between the Peter Inglis Avalanche Education Fund, the Telluride Mountain Club, Mountain Trip, Telluride Mountain Guide, San Juan Outdoor Adventures, and Telluride Helitrax. The final backcountry chat of the season will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Thursday, March 9th at 6 p.m. Ridgeway State Park has added to its fleet of recreational equipment. Last summer, the park received a $5,000 grant it's now spent to purchase 17 new paddle boards, 8 life jackets, and 96 safety whistles. The park notes it now has nearly 30 paddleboards, including one wheelchair-accessible paddleboard available for public use, in addition to floating wheelchairs and track chairs to make the park accessible for all users. 
Vice President Kamala Harris joined state and local officials in Arvada this week to discuss climate change and drought. The Denver Post reports Harris mentioned snowpack in her remarks as, quote, weather whiplash because of the need for snow and the dangerous conditions snowmelt can cause. While she didn't promote any measures in particular, she and other speakers touted programs funded by the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act and Inflation Reduction Act. One of the first companies to be given federal infrastructure funding was Empiris Technologies. This week, Governor Jared Polis's office announced Empiris will open a new lithium-ion battery factory in Brighton. A newly formed committee at the State House is investigating recent utility rate hikes. As KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports, it held its first meeting on Tuesday. Some Coloradans saw their utility bills go up by hundreds of dollars this winter. They climbed so fast that many are struggling to keep up payments. In response, lawmakers formed the Joint Select Committee on Rising Utility Rates. Committee Chair and Senate President Steve Fenberg said their first priority is to figure out what caused the rate hikes. And once we've asked many of the whys, we hope to begin a conversation of the how. How can we as policymakers begin to insulate ratepayers from these ever-increasing energy bills? Fenberg said the committee will not be setting utility rates directly. It will be working to make sure companies aren't overcharging consumers while still paying for essential infrastructure. At its first meeting, the committee heard from Colorado's utility and energy authorities. The public will not be able to testify in front of the committee, but can send comments electronically. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 35 miles per hour. Thursday, expect mostly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is near 40 degrees with a low in the mid-20s. Friday, there's an 80% chance of rain and snow showers with a high near 45 degrees. Friday night, expect rain and snow showers with a low in the mid-30s. This has been the news for Wednesday, March 8th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. A huge thank you to Katherine Warren, Lynn and Colby Ward, Janelle Tucker, Phil Taylor, Annie and Eddie Stevens, Scott Pearson and Deanna Farrell, Shashin Shaw, Peter and Molly Wickwar-Sante, Grace Mayer, Joan May, Dave Johnson, Anthony Cavanaugh, Janie Goldberg, Aiden Green, Abby Collins, Gabe Cofield, Katie and Andy Cox, Cormac Bork, Mamie Berard, Suzanne Chevins and John Juan Trabsky, Santa Claus, Richard Foley, Rich Estes, Dan Enright, Matthew Dollard, Don and Jane Berman, Will Downing, Rosie Cusack, Charles Dignan, Robin and Jeff Hope, Michelle Hatcher, Jim Hemphill, and Matt Hoysh. Thank you all so much.